Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Woods, Metro Columnist for the Florida Times Union, and we're back with another Page One podcast. And today I have Denise Amos, our education writer, because she spent uh, how many months working on the superintendent search? When did it start? Well, I, I would say that it started as, as soon as uh, Dr. Vitti decided to leave, which um, was officially May of last year. Um, the school board initially thought, well, we need somebody to step in as a, as a leader, so we're going to decide really quickly um, on an interim. Right. And they did that within a couple of weeks. I mean, it was very quick. But they, they did that with the idea that they, this would give them about a year's time to find somebody that they could settle on and right. do a full nationwide search. So I was going to backtrack and ask how long you've been covering education and remind me how long you've been here at the Times Union. Okay. Well, you know, I'm a 30-plus year journalist, but <laughs> um, I've been here at the Times Union for about four, four and a half years now and been covering education for over 10 years. But every day I learn, learn something new, so <laughs> it feels like a new job for me. Right. And how was it? how is it different here compared to Cincinnati? Well, we had several education reporters in Cincinnati, but in Ohio, school districts are um, can, can be very small and right. very large. So I covered a couple dozen school districts in Ohio um, because they're so they're suburban. Here in Florida, school districts are massive and they're countywide. <laughs> so um, here in Jacksonville, the school district is the biggest employer. It's got over ten thousand people in it. Right. So it's like covering a big corporation, but with a lot of community input and interest. Right. And I think that's why it's such a big deal when we have a superintendent search and have a new superintendent because it's so many employees, so many um, students, and and it's just a a big, big deal. Explain how the superintendent search kind of played out here. Well, first they picked um, a search firm out of three who submitted proposals, and they did that in a public in a public meeting, and they ranked the search firms, um, and, and they settled on Hazard Young Atia and Associates, which is pretty well known. It's probably one of the top two or three search firms in the country, um, and the instruction for HYA was. We want you to handle the applications, but also recruit, you know, find some good candidates for us. And um, HYA ultimately ended up handling um, a couple of, like, a couple dozen people that they recruited, that Hmm. they said, we really think you should apply for this job, as well as about 40 unsolicited applications from all across the country. And uh, within the past couple of months, HYA then met with the school board in a committee meeting and um, brought forth about a dozen names of people they they said uh, qualify for um, consideration based on 
a profile that mm-hmm. the that the school board gave them. The school board was pretty inclusive about how they developed this this profile. They held um, about thirteen community meetings. Mm-hmm. Asking people what they want in a superintendent, asking them to rank those attributes, and then um, taking their their kind of marching orders from them, and it included almost every segment of the community. There was one segment, the Civic Council, which is full of um, philanthropists and CEO types, um, that wanted more input. Initially, they wanted to be sure that they were, you know, kind of given an opportunity to talk to the board about what they wanted. And the board told them, look, you know, we're, we're having these meetings. You can come to these meetings. We're going to have one for business people, have one for our nonprofits. Please come. Um, and the Civic Council sort of changed its mind there, but did say that they thought that this process was going to be rushed. And they also wanted it to wait until this upcoming election because they felt that the people running for the three open seats should have some kind of input. Now that's where the kind of where the school board put its foot down and said, "Hey, no, we said we were going to do this within a particular time frame. Um, we're going to do it, and quite frankly, every two years, seats rotate on and off of the school board. We can't keep waiting for new people." And the last time they they had a superintendent search, I mean they. They had a couple of seats that that changed hands right right after that, so um, it's not unheard of. So, but the Civic Council, I, some of them um, kind of came along eventually to this whole whole idea. And the the most recent meetings were focus group meetings um, that were held this past Saturday. The focus group was made up of three three people appointed by each of the seven board members. Hmm. Each seven board members was asked. Define a parent or a community representative, and to find a school board, a school staff person. So it could be a teacher, it could be somebody else working, like a school resource officer or an administrator. Um, and to also keep in mind that you know you, you wanted to have people representing the community at large. You know, not just particular community groups, but the whole, the whole. So you had a wide variety of people on those focus group panels who who came and each one picked questions that they were going to ask and each had to ask one question of all five semifinalist candidates and the idea was to make mm-hmm. it fair mm-hmm. um, and give all the candidates equal opportunity to, to answer hmm. questions that admittedly have to be kind of generic you know not necessarily tailored to the particular candidate mm, right so, but and this was all done live streamed, so anyone could watch it on the internet or on TV. And then the district posted videos of the interviews on their website afterward. Um, I was talking with one board member who said that she was watching it from home, and she was watching it with at least three hundred other people. Hmm. So um, hmm. it was pretty open. Right. So some of the community meetings were very sparsely attended, but maybe that maybe that doesn't completely illustrate the engagement because right. in this, I watched some of the things online, uh, right. but I wasn't there in person. There's a couple of points to to that. I think one of the reasons that the community meetings that some of the community meetings were sparsely attended is because they followed bigger community forums that were held a few months before on strategic goal setting mm-hmm. for the district people showed up for that and i think that they sort of felt like 
well, they were asked, what do you want in a superintendent at those meetings? Right. So there was that. But in addition to that, the district held a, a survey that um, it was an online one um, that ultimately involved about a thousand responses. So a thousand people put some in, had some written input into uh Picking, setting a profile for a superintendent before they even had the form. So yeah, and that was interesting to look at. Like, you know, do you want somebody who's a big change agent? Do you want somebody who's going to maintain the status quo? Do you? It, it wasn't just uh, open ended questions. It was kind of trying to lead you to think out the process. I thought right. the the survey was pretty pretty good and interesting. It was. In the smaller meetings, people who were in the audience were allowed to respond to those kind of survey-like questions with clickers. Hmm. And this was done by a second search firm that's that's locally based. And you could see the results instantaneously huh. Fascinating. <laughs> in, yeah. in answer to those questions. And I, I think that people felt that that was a, a, a pretty fair process, too. Huh. So. Yeah, I was struck by, I mean, what I wrote about for Sunday was after, I know I'm comparing an interim search to a, a, a permanent search, but after JAA's interim CEO come on, coming out of nowhere, how elaborate this search and how much the uh, the public was involved. And even if some of those meetings didn't get big crowds, there was that opportunity for input. And, um, you know, so hopefully when JEA moves ahead with its permanent search, maybe they'll, they've said that maybe they will borrow some of the ideas from what Duval County Public Schools did. So, um, so yeah, now I guess move ahead. So they narrow it down to a final three. Right. It, they had five semi-finalists, and they narrowed that down to, to three. But they did that after the focus group meeting, after those people met face-to-face with the five semi-finalists and uh, filled out forms, you know, just kind of really open-ended questions about what they thought about the candidates. They were not allowed to rank them. You know? mm-hmm. But I will say this, that um, of the five candidates – candidates only dr green got 21 <laughs> positive forms it was really un- uncanny in fact a couple of people said i'm ready to hire her now <laughs> mm. Mm. when can she start it, yeah and i wanted to get to her the eventual you know who's she's chosen diana green what i guess tell people about her and explain what you think appealed to the okay. board about her all right. One of the big um, requirements that uh, for the superintendent profile that came out of the public meetings was most people wanted a someone with seat experience as a superintendent, hmm. and that could be a superintendent or that could be someone who was interim or somebody who was a deputy who ran a large part of a sc- of a school school district. All three of the finalists fit that. Role, but two of the three were actually sitting superintendents. Hmm. Dr. Green was interesting because she had been, she had run two districts prior to applying to this job. She was Marion County's deputy superintendent who became an interim. Mm-hmm. Um, and she then ran for that position. It, it's an elected position. Hmm. She lost the election and then she started applying for superintendent jobs elsewhere. She applied in Manatee. Didn't get hired in Manatee. Um, someone else was hired, but that that gentleman hired her as his deputy. Hmm. So then, when she stepped into Manatee, she was pretty much running a lot of the operations or some of the day to day operations for that school district. But that school district had a divided board, and um, apparently there were problems 
problems um, with the superintendents, some of his decision making. There were rifts between him and and the board. So within uh, a, a year or so, he kind of stepped back. He kind of re- re- resigned, mm-hmm. and she became the acting superintendent. Um, so she had two. She'd been an interim superintendent in two districts, and then, of course, when it came time to to search for a superintendent, the majority of the board said, "We have one. Let's just keep her." Hmm. And that's how she ends. How she ended up in her current position um, hmm. permanently. During that time, she managed to turn around the finances of that school district. You know, they were. When she came aboard, they had a negative fund balance. Now, your fund balance is the amount of money that you have to keep on hand in case of emergencies. And it's something that's, you know, the, the state requires that you have 3% of your operating revenues as your as your fund balance. Well, they had a negative one. <laughs> and in Florida, if you have a negative one, the state can take over your operations. And the state was about to take over theirs. So she had to raise she had to kind of get to the point where she was spending less money than she was taking in. And so that meant sizable cuts. She managed to cut the budget there without massive layoffs. She just reorganized the place. And in addition to that, ultimately, she somehow got her community to approve a half penny sales tax. And then within 18 months, approve a one mil increase in their local taxes, both of them for the schools at a time when she had a divided board <laughs> and some degree of opposition. So that was pretty impressive. She did cut a, a deal with the teachers union um, to um, make sure that some of the one mill was going to be directed toward raising salaries. Um, Manatee had some of the lowest average teacher salaries in the state at the time, and they were losing lots of teachers to the surrounding counties. So that was part of that deal. But it, it narrowly passed, and that is unheard of for school districts in Florida. Hmm. Yeah, to have I'm sure that was two a big measures checkmark for her. Yeah. yeah. So I think that some of our people here in Duval were like, "We need to look at how she did that because we'd like to do this, do something like that here." Yeah. So that was kind of a big selling point for her. But she also came. She does. She does come with. Um, Another requirement, which is you had to have a track record for turning around low-performing schools. Uh, Manatee had 17 Ds and F schools when she took over. Uh, this year, it's estimated the Manatee is going to have zero F schools and maybe two or three D schools. So she has an, a track record for really improving school performance. Hmm. And this is at a time when the state of Florida really um, increased its its standards for for academics, raised the cut scores or the passing rate scores. That's something that they kind of, that the board was looking at for all five candidates. They wanted specifics of how did you improve academics. And you're you're one of the few people who probably sat in on a lot of these things. (laughs) So any particular moments that stand out at you that, that were kind of unique that may have made an impression on the, on the, board members or citizens or whoever? I think that um, one thing that stood out for Dr. Diana Green in particular was when she was asked questions that would be considered tough, like um, one, a couple of the forum folks asked uh, her to describe times when she had when she uh, was opposed by the school board on something or when there was a lot of opposition. 
how did you overcome the the opposition or name sometime when you lost a battle and mm-hmm. how did you re- re- recover? Doc, Dr. Green had a lot of specific examples. Hmm. Um, she spoke at length. She was very um, focused on answering questions. Um, all five candidates went into generalities, you know, about how important it is to, you know, raise raise scores. But she had real specifics about the things that she tried to do hmm. to raise the scores. And she had real specifics about, you know, battles that she didn't win. You know, like there was one case where uh, she wanted to change uh, how teachers were were evaluated in a particular way. Um, the teachers' union, or some of the teachers, didn't like it. They were totally against it and called the board members to complain about it. The board took their side, didn't adopt her changes. She said, you know, I was taken aback that there were teachers that had done that, but, you know, that's their right. Mm-hmm. You know, hmm. That was one example where I thought, you know, she could have looked not that good, but she came off as very... Um, forthcoming and, mm-hmm. and honest. There were some other questions with some of the other candidates where um, focus group people wrote down afterward that the candidate didn't answer the question. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really answer the question. Um, they, no one wrote that down for mm-hmm. her. So mm-hmm. the other thing about her is that she sort of um, anticipates what question you're going to ask. That's one. Personally, when I've talked to with her, I've sort of felt like she's kind of fi- figured out what the connotations are and what the hmm. what the deeper meanings are of, of the questions. And she kind of laughs because it's like she knows what you're asking and why. But she mm. then just opens up and answers the question. And I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the board members were concerned with how trustworthy all five candidates were going to be because – I think the board felt that there were surprises, financial surprises in the district budgets for the past, the last school year that they were not prepared for. And so I think that they were looking for a candidate who knew how to handle the finances of a $1.7 billion budget in district and also somebody who's likely to tell them the negative stuff out there before uh, they experience it in the um, in the budget making process, and I think that uh, when I've talked to other board members after that, that's one of the things that they've said that they felt as though they could trust what she was going to say, hmm. even if it's bad news. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, kind of looking ahead. So, what are when she steps in day one? What are the challenges she faces from day one? Well, I tried to list some of them in my stories, but I'm telling you, that's a whole story in and of itself (laughs) because um, we have a big district here that, for as long as I've been here and probably years before, has struggled with literacy issues. You have students who don't read on grade level, don't write on grade level, and with the current um, set of Florida standards assessments that kids take every year, those weaknesses really show up and drag down the drag down the scores for the kids for the schools now for the teachers because they're partially evaluated based on how well their their students do on tests and for the school the school district and that was a big challenge that um i I think dr vd had started working on um but had mixed results on Mm -hmm. as in there was progress and then there was sort of backtracking and then progress i think that they're hoping that their next leader is going to put them on a a faster trajectory so that kids become uh, proficient faster. You know, uh, you've got kids that have to make up more than one year's worth of of uh, 
progress in one year, hmm. and they want somebody who knows how to do that. So that's kind of a big that's a big big challenge that whoever comes here would would have faced. But in addition to that, as I indicated before, we uh, this district has a sixty two million dollar budget hole that it's got to fill. So that means there there will be cuts made to school programs, uh, to personnel, um, and people are going to start feeling that with the coming school year. Um, the board is uh, planning its budget right now, but their superintendent is going to have to ec- execute that, and they're going to ha- she's going to have to do this in a way that doesn't harm students as m- that harms the students the least. Mm-hmm. When that when when a superintendent does that and they're new, they're often that means you got to come in. You're going to have to maybe trim some popular programs. You're going to th- move some teachers around. You know, we had uh, a district that. Um, had made a commitment to have art, music, and PE in every school, and um, that's very expensive. And now they're Hmm. trying to figure out how to still do that, but with a lot less people and money. Um, So that's kind of the the budget kind of issues, and the literacy issues are her two biggest challenges. But in in addition to that, she kind of has to help the, the, the board in the district mend fences, I think. I hmm. think that um, that with with the departure of Dr. Vitti and then the kind of rancor between him and some members of the school board before he left, that sort of uh, uh, created or emphasized a rift that seems to exist between the people with a lot of money in our region and the school district. Hmm. Um, there's this... Um, the school board is supposed to be um, independent mm-hmm. and represent the teachers and the residents um, of the people who live in the district. But sometimes the, over the years, there have been tensions and uh, times of disengagement between uh, the business, uh, some people in the business community and some people who are in the big, big foundations and the school district and its leadership. Hmm. And I think it got worse or just more obvious um, at the time that Dr. Vitti left. Now, even in this process of, of selecting a new superintendent, you had the Civic Council send a letter saying, we don't like the way you're doing this. We want to be more involved hmm. and maybe take it a little slower. I think that those, uh, at that particular time, that that was, a, that was an outward sign of an inward uh, tension between the school board leadership and school district and uh, business. Hmm. Yeah, that was one of the kind of the question I was going to end with was kind of it seems like this is a recurring kind of soap opera that we start off with a honeymoon and things are Mm -hmm. good and and that there seems to be inevitable kind of fallout between superintendent and school board and there's all these different factions um, um, and it doesn't serve anybody well i mean are you hopeful that this maybe will be different well you know you can never tell because we are going to have three new school board members no matter what come uh this fall because three of the four seats are open and um the one seat that had a person who could run um scott shine has decided not to run Mm -hmm. instead to endorse the sole candidate for the position so you will have three new school board members no matter what Right. So I can't take any bets on that. <laughs> True. Um, and the other thing is, is um, you did have seven people who pretty much endorsed Dr. Green. So, I mean, she's I think she's kind of got some advantage there because there was not strong opposition to her 
anybody on the board she she'll probably have a honeymoon period then mm-hmm. right. <laughs> at least a hundred days maybe yeah, right. <laughs> well great well thanks uh, again that was De- denise smith amos our education writer and Thank i really you. appreciate you giving your insight and yeah, i was wondering how many stories you probably wrote during the last year about this search uh, I stopped counting, man. <laughs> Dozens, I'm <laughs> Dozens. sure. Dozens. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for all that. It helped uh, help me stay on top of it since I was not going to all these meetings and things. So I really appreciated being able to read them. And um, folks can certainly check out stuff on jacksonville.com that she's written. Thanks, Thanks. again. It was a pleasure. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.